Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor here at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And today I'm wearing my Mariners jersey. You can't really see it on the screen. And if you're listening, you can't see it at all. But uh, it is the day before the MLB postseason starts and the Mariners made it. Good for them. I, uh, I like the Mariners, all right. But the Cardinals... They're my baby. Love, love, love the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, I have no idea when this comes out if either one of those teams will still be in the playoffs, but uh, I, I hope they will be. That would be fun. But that's not why you're here. You're not here f- for me to talk about baseball. Today we're talking about Jeremiah, and specifically we're talking about the New Covenant in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, this is going to be a longer episode, which I've said this before. You've already seen the time before you downloaded this. You've seen how long this episode is. I don't know how long it'll be, but here you are anyway, so you must have been willing to take it on. And uh, this is definitely going to be you know, pretty Bible heavy. We're looking at three main passages in Jeremiah and then um, a passage in Luke to finish it out and maybe one in Acts also. And then next week, we're going to look at what Ezekiel has to say about the New Covenant. So this is kind of like a New Covenant Part 1, Part 2 sort of deal, which is really important for you to understand when it comes to grasping the storyline of the Bible. You you can't grasp the storyline of the Bible if you don't have an understanding of the New Covenant. That's a big statement, but it's true. It's very, very important. And uh, this is for the week of October 17th through the 23rd, covering Jeremiah um, in Lamentations this week. We're not going to look at Lamentations, and then next week it's the entire book of Ezekiel. So that's what's going on. Well, without any further ado, let's jump right in to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. I, I guess a little back background story would be helpful, or just overview. Who was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a prophet, and we talked about that last week when we examined the doctrine of the preexistence. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was a prophet in Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Israel broke into uh, two coven- or two kingdoms shortly after they got a king. Saul, of course, uh, was the uh, the first king in Israel. Then David, then Solomon, and then things started just to f- they fell apart, basically. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, or uh, Ephraim, and the southern kingdom was called Judah, or sometimes Manasseh. Well, Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah, that southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, which was comprised of ten tribes, ten of the twelve made up Israel, the northern kingdom, they had already fallen by the hand of the Assyrians. And so all that was left were the two tribes of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Yet Judah was about to be taken captive by the Babylonians. The Assyrians did not take the southern kingdom when they took the northern. They, they were unable to capture Judah. But the Babylonians are about to roll in and to take these remaining Israelites living in Judah, about to take them captive, and they're going to go into exile. So Jeremiah's role at this time is to warn his fellow countrymen about what's coming, urge them to repent, and he does so with tears. Sometimes Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. But he's also going to urge them to uh, consider the the hope that they have in God, and he's going to give them some revelation that they can hang on to, to hope for. So repent now, but also look forward to a future hope. 
That's basically Jeremiah's message. And today we're going to focus on that future hope that he talked about. And we're going to start in Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 1. Jeremiah writes, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend to them, or tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now check this out, verses 5 through 8, it's uh, pretty wild. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, capital B, branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness." Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt. But, they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. All right. Well, that's a pretty powerful passage, and there are several things to notice in that passage. I made some notes here of uh, some details that we can examine. Uh, First, we can see that God is going to judge. He's going to judge this people, and that is back in verse 2 of uh, the passage, where it says that this is Yahweh, the Lord speaking, that he's going to attend to them, all right? Uh, behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. And uh, he's talking about uh, those who have not cared for Israel well, those who have persecuted them and driven them away. He's going to attend to them for the evil of their deeds. Those enemies of Israel throughout their history, God is going to, uh, he's going to punish them. He's going to judge them. Well, we also see that God is going to gather Israelites from the places they had been scattered. That's there in verse 3. He says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them. So there's, there's this idea where they have been scattered because of persecution, and uh, this persecution didn't take place without God's control. In fact, the book of Habakkuk is quite clear that God is using other nations to discipline Israel. And he's scattering them through this persecution, using persecution to send them all over. But there's coming a day when he's going to gather the remnant out of that flock. There's, there's going to be a great regathering of those who have been scattered. And in verse 4... When he gathers them up, he's going to raise up shepherds over them, and these shepherds will tend them. So as they come back together, they will be shepherded by good shepherds. Uh, 
there were shepherds who scattered his flock, back in verse 2, and then there will be those who tend to the flock. Okay? In verse 5, we see that ultimately Israel will be guided by, led by, a righteous branch. And he says specifically for David, there will be a righteous branch for David from his line who's going to reign as king. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. He's going to execute justice and righteousness, and not just in any old place, but in specifically the land, it says, in the land. It says in verse 6 that Judah and Israel will be saved and dwell securely. So this is both kingdoms, not just one of the kingdoms, not just Judah that was surviving at this time, but Jeremiah is talking about a future time when Israel will uh, exist again and exist alongside Judah as saved individuals, the remnant of God, and they will dwell securely among all the other nations. And uh, so they're, they're going to be in the land, they're going to be saved, they're going to dwell securely. And verse seven, verses 7 and 8 describe that this is going to be, um, again, in that specific land that God gave them, and it will outshine the exodus. Notice in verse 7 that no longer are people going to say that Yahweh is the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt through the exodus, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. You see that over and over and over again in the Old Testament as that's what God is known for. But he's going to be known as the one who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel, where he had driven them. He's, there's going to be a, a great migration back to that land, and they're going to live, it says, on their own soil. So this isn't something figurative. This is actual ground, actual soil. That's where they're going to regather. Well, this clearly has not happened yet in human history. This is an amazing, uh, huge event that is going to be undeniable, and it has not yet happened. Now, there are, of course, several spiritual elements to all of this, uh, where God is doing a great work spiritually. It says in the text that they will be saved. Now, that is a a spiritual thing. Uh, They're going to be rescued physically, but also they're going to be restored spiritually. Uh, but this is also very physical, isn't it? They're going to be returning to land, actual land. And in that sense, uh, this is going to be a physical restoration for Israel. This is a prophecy not for anybody else, but for Israelites. It even says specifically, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, these two kingdoms, it's, it's covering uh, the, the entire nation of Israel, these Israelites, there will be a remnant who will be brought back to the land and will experience a spiritual and physical restoration. Now, the uh, the next passage I want to look at in Jeremiah is Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. So let's jump over there, where it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, 
my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring for Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will go out farther straight ahead to the hill Garib, then it will turn to Goa. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to the Lord. It will not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. All right. Well, um, that is another long passage describing this restoration in Israel. Uh, an amazing day where Israel will be saved spiritually and restored physically. And one of the first things that we can see in this passage is that God says explicitly that there will be a new covenant. So there's a, a new covenant that's going to be made in verse 31. And that covenant specifically is said to be not like the former covenant. That's whenever they were brought out of the land of Egypt and uh, through Moses, God gave Israel the law. Well, the new covenant is going to be different than that. It's not going to be administered by the law. The law was uh, kind of this, this catalyst. It was given to Israel as a constitution as they dwelled in the land. And it's like, hey, uh, live by that and live. Do, do a good job keeping the rules and you'll stay in the land and live. Well, the problem is that Israel couldn't do that. They were unable and that's why the Assyrians come, the Babylonians come, they take out the Israelites, uh, and they conquer them in their land. If Israel would have kept the law, then they wouldn't have had to, to worry about that. But alas, they did not keep the law. Well, the new covenant is going to be different. It is not like that law that was given through Moses. It was not. It's not like that covenant that was... Uh, given through Moses that administered the blessings to them, uh, the, the land blessings. Because the blessing of this land is unconditional. God gave this land to the descendants of Abraham without requiring anything of them. It's theirs forever, Genesis 12 and 13 says. But for them to stay in the land and to enjoy blessings in the land, they had to obey the law. And that's what God gave them. After he gave, brought them out of Egypt, he gave them the law. Well, it says here that they broke that covenant. It's the covenant that they broke, God says. Although he was faithful, he was a husband to them, 
They were unfaithful. Well, this uh, new covenant is defined here, or contrasted rather, by this reality. Instead of the law being outside and over them, God says, I'm going to put my law within them. And on their hearts, he's going to write his law, and he will be their God, and they shall be my people, declares the Lord. So instead of the law being this this, uh, tutor or guardian that is beating them up, standing over them, and and, and leading them back to uh, looking forward to the Messiah who's going to take away their sin, because that was one of the purposes of the law, is to beat them down in their sins so that they would look forward to this coming Messiah. Well, there's going to come a day where things will change so much so that the law will actually be inside of them. It'll be written on their hearts, and they won't have a need to teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, God says, from the least of them to the greatest. And tied into this is this forgiveness, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more, God says. Now that is pretty amazing. How can that be possible? Because if you understand what it was like to live under the law, well, you still sinned a lot. It wasn't like uh, these these guys who lived under the law were uh, perfect in the way that they lived. They were sinning all the time. Think of you know, Moses himself, the one who received the law. He broke the law all the time, his brother Aaron. Uh, you can think of the some of the more famous people, David and Daniel and uh, Joshua, and on and on it goes. These people all sinned. And this was before the time of the New Covenant when God says, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. There wasn't like this final uh, forgiveness moment with them. But when they would sin, it would kind of add up. It would build up over and over again, year after year. And annually, they would have to go make a sacrifice. This is in Leviticus 16. It's the day of Yom Kippur, as we call it today, the the day of atonement. And Israel had to have a sacrifice every year. Uh, There were a couple goats involved and a bull, and and you can read all about it in Leviticus 16. But there had to be this sacrifice year after year through the high priest in Israel. There was only one high priest at a time. And they had to have this atonement made for them that was temporary because they had to do it each year. It wasn't... There was no final goat sacrifice. It was every year they had to do it, and they kept sinning and kept breaking the law. They were unable to live perfectly and to um, inherit all the blessings that came through keeping the law perfectly. So the covenant that was given through Moses when God brought Israel out of Egypt, it was based on laws and it was based on offerings. That's the way to think of that old covenant or that first covenant through Moses. It was based on law and it was based on offerings. Year after year, offering after offering, that was their life. Well, the new covenant is different. In this new covenant, God says that the law, again, won't be outside and over them, but instead it will be written on their hearts. God says that they won't have to teach each other uh, anymore to know the Lord, but they will all know the Lord. And he says that uh, he will not remember their sin anymore. There will be a final forgiveness. Uh, there, will, there won't have to be sacrifices anymore, uh, but 
their sin will just be totally erased and done away with, which is was quite amazing. And you may have caught this too. Um, it says in uh, verse 30, let's see, verse 34, when it says they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, um, there's this idea, and, and the fact that they don't need to be taught, there's this idea that they're going to be conformed to God. So it's not just that they'll have head knowledge and they won't need to teach each other, but that there will be conformity of lifestyle and that they'll be able to live holy lives that please God and they won't have a need for any more offerings because sin will be removed far from them, even in their hearts. Um, so this is a, an amazing day that is yet future. But I want to cover a couple more things in here too before I give some more summary thoughts on Jeremiah 33. It says in uh, verse 35 and 36 um, that God is speaking specifically to Israel. God's not speaking to anybody else. And he says, look, I've got my fixed order of the moon and the stars and uh, the sun. All of this is fixed. And if this ever departs, if this ever ceases to be, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. So God is speaking to Israel, and he's not just saying that this is going to happen, but he's going to say, um, but he's saying here that this is absolutely for sure going to happen to this nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, because he's able to keep them. There have been all kinds of times throughout history where people have tried to uh, do away with the nation of Israel, where they've tried to eliminate them from the face of the earth, uh, where perhaps certain people have thought Israel was done for. But God says, they will never cease to be a nation before me. He is faithful to keep them as a nation. And all of these blessings that we just read about in verses 31 to 34 here, all of those are going to happen to this nation that God is keeping by his sovereign power. In uh, verses 38 through 40, the final section here, uh, we see that there's going to be a physical rebuilding in the land. In fact, that word is right here. The city will be rebuilt for the Lord. So this is, again, a physical restoration that's happening in the land, and it's resulting in permanent safety. God says it will not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. So there's a permanent safety that's coming from this restoration in this physical land, a physical restoration in a physical land. All right, so... Um, clearly this hasn't happened yet either, where the entire nation of Israel is restored to God, that they're given the fullness of their land, which there are all kinds of great Bible maps out there that show the fullness of the land that was promised to the descendants of Abraham back in the book of Genesis. Well, this hasn't happened. It's a future day, still future for us today. And it's not just the spiritual salvation that's going to happen, but there's a physical re uh, restoration that's going to take place. Okay, that was uh, yeah, Jeremiah 31. So now Jeremiah 33. <laughs> there's still more to see. I told you this is going to be more intense. I'm going really fast because there's a lot to see. But Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord 
when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the two kingdoms that make up the nation. Verse 15, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night, so that the day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may, be, may also be broken with David my servant, so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be counted, and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not observed what this people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them? Thus they despise my people. No longer are they as a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Wow. So, again, a lot to see here. Um, just a few things I want to point out. He says that Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. Jerusalem is located within Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and all of Judah will be saved and they will be safe, safe from all of their enemies. There's going to be a descendant of David. According to the promise, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. This is from the Davidic covenant, the unbreakable Davidic covenant that you can read about in 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89. God makes this promise to David, and he will keep it. The national covenant with Abraham's line is fixed. Notice that he brings up the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is all the way down in verse 26, we're talking about physical descendants of Abraham. And fortunes will be restored, God says. He's going to restore them physically with all their physical blessings. We're talking about vineyards and cattle and land and uh, cities that are fortified, all of that stuff. He's, he's going to restore them completely and totally. So the, the big idea from these three prophecies that we looked at in the book of Jeremiah is that there's coming a day where those who are physical descendants of Abraham, those who are of uh, that bloodline, they are going to be saved and restored by God. That's clear. He's going to save them, causing them to be born again to a living hope. He's going to make a new covenant with them and they are going to conform to him in holiness and never have a need again for a sacrifice to take away sin. But they will 
uh, worship him in Jerusalem, dwelling in safety among all the nations, and they will offer all kinds of memorials to him in thankfulness to what he has done. Wow, we just covered a ton in the book of Jeremiah, and there's, uh, of course, always so much to see. But now as we think about this new covenant business, there's more to it, because not only is God working among Israelites with this new covenant, something that hasn't happened yet, it's still future, but the new covenant actually affects people outside of Israel, those Gentiles who come to know the Lord before he um, does his work in Israel. And the new covenant has an effect on Gentiles when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what this is all leading up to, the way God is going to work in Israel, the way God is going to bring about this new covenant, is through the person and work of Jesus. He's not going to do it apart from Jesus Christ, but through Jesus Christ. And I want to show you Luke chapter 22 now as we start to land the plane a little bit. This is Jesus's institution of the Lord's Supper. It says that when the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, Listen to this. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Wow. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Well, Jesus inaugurated, you could say, he inaugurated the new covenant with his blood, with his death. He started administering new covenant blessings through faith in his finished work of his death and resurrection when he came the first time. And he's begun to build his church. Uh, Jesus said that he would build his church, and that's been happening, where um, he has been saving people by drawing them and, and just regenerating their souls, giving them new life, making them new creations in him, so that uh, he would be the firstborn among many brethren, Scripture says. And those who believe in Jesus today are enjoying the blessings of the new covenant. So all that we're reading about in Jeremiah, not all of that has been fulfilled, obviously. I've said that several times here, right? And, and you know that um, you know Israel is not dwelling in the fullness of their land in safety, and they don't all know the Lord. There hasn't been a mass conversion. We recognize this. But one day it will be fulfilled. And in the meantime, what is happening is that God is, is building his church and allowing the church to experience the blessing of the new covenant in the here and now. It's already begun, but it's not yet what it will be. 
In Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching his second sermon since receiving the Holy Spirit. So this isn't the sermon at Pentecost, it's the one after that. And he talks to the Jews, he preaches to them, saying, Look, the righteous one has come, and you killed him. Remember when we saw in Jeremiah, God's going to send a righteous branch of David? He says, Peter says, The righteous one has come, and you killed him. And yet he died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And he says, and this is verse 21 of Acts chapter 3, that heaven received him until the appointed time when all that was spoken by the holy prophets would be fulfilled. And so we're now like in an in-between phase where there's coming a future day when Jesus will return and all that we read about in Jeremiah will, will actually happen. It's going to be literally fulfilled. But in the meantime, Jesus is building his church, and his church gets to experience some of these new covenant blessings. We don't make sacrifices anymore. We're not under the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit. He's placed his Spirit within us, and we're led by the Spirit. He's written, in a sense, the law on our, our hearts. We're not under the law, and we're guided by the Holy Spirit. We're living in a new dispensation. This is a new administration in God's program. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says that we exist as the church to make Israel jealous because one of these days all Israel will be saved. In Revelation chapter 7, we see this time of tribulation, and in that time, there's this like super group of 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe, and they get saved by God and they're used on earth to reach other Jews and to reach other people. So God has not told the church that, that we're Israel. Some of you have been told that, that we're Israel. In fact, you've been told whether you're from the tribe of Ephraim or Manasseh. And, and that's a consistent way to handle that. Anybody who thinks, any Christian who thinks that, that he's a Jew, a true Jew or a true Israelite, uh, he needs to tell me what tribe he's from because God recognizes those tribes all the way to the new heaven and new earth uh, where the 12 names are written on the 12 gates the 12 names of the 12 tribes. But God has not told the church that she is Israel, and he has not failed to build his church. Some of you have been told that too, that he failed to build his church for a long time, and then he recently restored his church. That's not the case either. But rather, the two entities, the church and Israel, they work together in his redemptive program in that he was focused on Israel and the, he gave all these kingdom promises and these covenant promises to Israel. And yet, when their Messiah King came, they killed him. And so now he has turned to the Gentiles, and he used his apostles to get the word out to the Gentiles. And he's building his church that's made up of Jew and Gentile alike, the body of Christ. And there is no ethnic distinction within the church. And one day, he's going to turn his focus again back on Israel, and there's going to be a literal fulfillment of these prophecies made in Jeremiah and in many other places in the Old Testament. All will be fulfilled as it was prophesied, and he will get the glory. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, you will be with him for eternity if you have been saved. And you won't have the same role in eternity. We see there will be all kinds of different things going on, in the, especially in the new heavens and new earth. Some people will be kings, and other people won't be. There will be different nations represented in the new heaven and new earth. And Israel is going to have a special function in God's program, particularly through a time of tribulation and in 
the Messiah's kingdom that is still future. But we will talk more about that next week. And that was just a little bit on the new covenant for now, uh, kind of laying the groundwork. And next week we'll look at Ezekiel and see what he has to say, but we'll specifically talk about the implications for being in the new covenant now and, uh, and talk more about what that'll look like in the future. So I hope that was helpful, giving that big overview. Praise God that the first covenant has been supplanted by the new covenant, starting in the here and now. We're not under law, but we're under grace if we believe in Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're under grace. But if you're in Adam, if you have not been saved, you are still condemned by the law. And the way to get out of that condemnation is not to do better, not to work harder, not to be perfect, but instead turn to the one who is perfect and trust in the finished work of Jesus who lived the life that you couldn't live. It was perfect in thought, word, and deed. And he died the death that you deserve on the cross and rose again, that if you believe in him, the one true God who took on flesh, if you trust in his finished work, you will be given his righteousness, recognizing that all of your sin was put on him and he was punished in your place. And you will have eternal life beginning here and now, and it will never end. And you'll have a glorious reign with him in the future where you will... Uh, judge angels even, Scripture says. What an amazing hope that you can have if you turn to the Lord in faith today. Thanks for listening. That was the New Covenant, part one from Jeremiah. Hope to, I would say see you, but I'm not going to see you. Hope you join me next week. God bless.